Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello and welcome back to the Prep to Pro NBA Draft Podcast. My name is Ben Pfeiffer and as always I'm joined by my co-host Max Carlin. Max, how's it going? I'm doing all right, Ben. How are you? I'm doing all right as well. I'm excited to continue our mailbag episode. This is part two. Part one would have went out on Monday. I'm going to keep answering the the questions that all of you listeners sent in. So without rambling any further, let's, let's get into it. The wait is finally over. Football's in full effect. With many teams strutting their stuff, you might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head to Bet Online today and use promo code ARMCHAIR to take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. So our first question is from hoops underscore NBA underscore. Uh, who are the ball handlers that look likely to go in the late 20s to 30s that you think are potential steals? Um, I, I missed late when I was writing this. So I have like a question mark, may, like maybe Kyra Cole if they're there, but like they're not going to be there late 20s. So ignore that. But if they fall, Kyra and Cole, because they, they do fall in some mocks. Uh, the main one is Riller, really. Um, which seems like late first, early second is kind of his range. Um, just like a special score, really with legit like primary score upside um, with his elite first step and slashing craft and finishing with both hands and explosion and then some of the space creation on jumpers. And yes, there are like lots of pro- there are problems with Wheeler and why I think I'm a little lower than some people while still being high. I, I-, I think there's like, you, you can only be so low on a guy with his real scoring upside. But, yes, I mean, like, if he's not, like, a really high-level shooter with his decision-making concerns and the age and the defense being bad, but, like, he's a pretty special scoring guard prospect. And certainly, I think, late first is an awesome value. And then, like, there's – and then the, the other one that I really like is Malachi Flynn, who um, – best pick-and-roll player in the class, I think. Uh, just, like, really, really good shooter – um, you know, might not be a great finisher in the NBA, but is is crafty and has an awesome runner game. And just with the snakes and the footwork and stuff, I think it's going to be fine enough. And you know, despite being six foot one, really tries hard defensively, is strong and laterally quick at the point of attack, and really smart defensively and, and a playmaker. Just an awesome guard prospect, but I think some real, like a little bit of sneaky upside if the shooting or the pick and roll offense is really potent. 
so those are the two really those are the two like main ones I had. And then, then there's like a couple other ones that I'm a little lower on, but still kind of fall into this range. Those being Tyrell Terry, uh, Devon, Devon Dotson, Nico Manny, and even Cassius Winston. But those all all those prospects have like some useful skills. And if you know for different roles, like if you need like an off ball third guard, like Nico Mannion could, could be a really solid. If you need like a bench score shooter type. Um, to run pick and rolls, Cassius Winston w- would be a, would be a good get. Um, so yeah, I mean those are the the main guards that I had on my list. I just had Malachi and Riller uh, for very different reasons. Malachi, I'm really confident in as a rotational guard uh, for all the reasons you laid out. Just a really really talented all around player. Believe in him a ton as a shooter. Perfect pick and roll player. Like incredibly well rounded there. Uh, and yeah, believe in him a lot as a defender that he is highly instinctual, tries really hard, uh, very good at the point of attack, uh, very good off the ball, great communicator, um, just a very, very good all around player. Meanwhile, Riller, um, I, I feel like there's almost no way you can't buy into his driving ability. There's nothing really to be skeptical of there. He has one of a kind first, first step, uh, he creates leverage with his strength. He is incredibly skilled with his footwork. He is an incredibly crafty finisher with great touch uh, and just a ton of skill around there and ambidexterity, um, balance, strength, vertical athleticism. He has everything you could possibly want out of a, a guard finisher and a guard slasher. Um, yeah, just like hard not to buy in there. I have questions on a lot of other stuff on the level of the pull-up on – defense um as a decision maker you know lots and lots of questions with him but hard not to buy him as a as a driver uh and that's worth a lot uh yeah like you said just like a genuine guard creator prospect uh who's going to be available in the late first or early second uh really a worthwhile play you know one of the but both of those were were high high on our lists um on that recent those recent episodes on best plays in the class uh, I didn't have anyone else because I. It, this goes back to the to the best plays thing that after those guys, I don't want to pay an early second for Nico or Teo Maladon or Cassius Winston. I'll just take whichever one falls to me later. Um, so yeah, I would say for definitely for the, for this question, go back and uh, check out um, that the best plays pod, but. But the two that, that I like a lot are Malachi and Riller as well. Yep. Um, started off the, the second episode just like the first one with a question about Malachi and Riller. So um, let's get into our second question. This is from under, this is from Kyle underscore Jones 77. During the season, how do you go about seeing the most amount of games slash players? Do you just pick a game to watch and watch other teams at other times? Just wondering how you go about, say, a Saturday full of games and prospects playing at the same time. Thanks. Love the show. Uh, not a lot of method to it, honestly. I just kind of watch games, uh, try to watch them after the fact. It's much more efficient. Um, if there are big games between multiple big prospects, definitely make a point of seeing those. Those I'm more inclined to see live. Because uh, also they're just fun, but you know, even if that's the case, you're going to want to go back and watch them. I find that it's it's much more effective from an analysis standpoint to uh, watch guys individually as opposed to trying to watch like five or six guys at the same time. Um, but 
yeah, so that, that can mean, you know, watching the same game multiple times for different guys. Uh, but yeah, not, not a ton of, of uh, method to it necessarily, just kind of watching as, as I please. Yeah, not much method. Like I said, like we'll watch, I don't watch much live college basketball, honestly, like besides the big games. And even then, I'm not really like thinking too critically at that point because um, it's just like, you know, I can't rewind or I'm not, I'm usually not taking, you know, deep or thoughtful notes. I'm just kind of watching to watch. Um, yeah, I mean, w- w- when I'm rewatching, definitely the big games. Um, also, just focusing more on like the, the, the more relevant prospects. We talked about this like maybe before, but like, um, I would love to spend like an equal amount of time on like all of the prospects and like know everything about all of the fringe prospects, but that's just like not a thing I realistically have time for. Um, so it's just more worthwhile to me to spend more time on, you know, Anthony Edwards and Lamelo Ball and Killian Hayes and really get to know the intricacies of them than, you know, spending even close to the same amount of time on, I don't know, like, like Jake Toulson or like, um, someone like that, even though like just, just watching games, I'm going to get a conception of all of these guys, um, at least a little bit, like I'm going to come across them. I usually won't like watch multiple watch a game multiple times for different players unless there's like a ton of prospects. Um, I don't know, like something like uh, I don't know, like Duke, Michigan State, something like that. Um, I don't know. That's just off the top of my head. Just a game with a lot of pro- with like a lot five, six, seven prospects. I think it's worth consuming multiple times. But generally, like yeah, not much of a method of my madness. Every time I try to like create like a watch list that I'm, I I try to stick to, I never am able to. Um, so yeah, I mean, just kind of haphazard and prioritizing the most important games and the most, most important prospects. All right. Next we've got from Bryce within a lot of letters and numbers. Um, (laughs) I I think D'Angelo Russell struggles a lot to get good shots because he's not quick enough to get by his defender. Will Killian Hayes have the same issue? Is he significantly quicker? Are you hoping for a different role? Um, well, I mean, there is that, I mean, Killian Hayes is like similarly not like elite burst wise. So I think he's better than D'Angelo already, um, from an explosion standpoint. Um, Killian's just like a lot bigger. First of all, he's bigger and stronger than D'Angelo. Um, he has like, though that like the, the lack of top end quickness is going to be an issue for Killian at times. He has ways to counter that issue that D'Angelo just doesn't. Um, first being strength and touch and size and just being able to go through and around and, and over defenders and use the, you know, the deceleration finishes and the touch and the, the footwork and craft that D'Angelo just doesn't display to actually get to the lane and draw fouls and finish. Um, and then like, so like th- that's where I think of the role um, as an on-ball guy, um, Killian just as a scorer, I think is a different level or projects to be a different level than, than D'Angelo just because all D'Angelo can really do is like pull up mid ranges and like snake floaters. Um, I think Killian, has more counters to when defenses decide to, to take that away. Though that's not even Killian's game is like the forward momentum pull-ups. He's more of a backwards momentum off dribble shooter anyway. Um, so th- I, I think they're pretty functionally different besides like the, the great lefty passer with not top end quickness. They're pretty different in every other way. And that doesn't even, you know, like account for the fact that like Killian's like a, like a million times better defensively. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think like while there are like our broad similarities, uh, we talked about this last episode as well, or not two episodes ago now, I guess, um, on bad when we did bad comparisons with PD. Um, how this is a comparison you're going to see a lot, and though like it might look sensical on the surface, there's just a lot of differentiating factors that might be kind of small but are pretty key. So, yeah, they're pretty stylistically distinct. Um, 
they're like obviously they're both kind of slow lefties. Uh, I think Killian at this point is a lot faster than Delo, like a lot burstier. Uh, it's just the the idea that Killian is wildly slow. I think is outdated because he used to be. He used to be like Delo. Wow, this guy cannot get by anyone. He is unbelievably slow. But he's made big strides there, uh, and I think there's there's more room to grow with inc- increased uh, lower body flexibility from him. Uh, so I think a, a different level of burst, but that's not even the, the main point. The, the main point is that Killian wins differently. He wins more with this sharp, with the sharp change of direction, uh, that he does have a level of strength that Delo definitely doesn't have, um, that he does have this refined footwork. Uh, I think he just wins differently. I think he wins in a much more diverse manner. Like Ben said, he has more counters. Um, he's not the level of top shot maker that Delo is never will be. Just pretty stylistically different players on the offensive end. Um, and then, yeah, and that doesn't even mention defense. So I, I think they're pretty different. Uh, yeah. There are some very, very broad surface-level comparisons that that make some sense. And, like, the, the general idea of, like, not compromising the defense enough to really, really drive t- team offense, it, it was, like, I think used to be a much more reasonable criticism of Killian. Um but Until yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't think that it really holds up uh, beyond like the, the absolute surface level of both being like kind of slow. Levels. Yeah. All right. Next question um, from at Bobby James 98801. Is Riller's ceiling outcome similar in value to Kemba? Obviously, they're different stylistically, but as high level scoring guards with average and unspectacular passing and hoping to be net neutral slash small negatives on D. Um, yeah, so stylistic differences are huge, but not going to get into that because, uh, Bobby seems to know that, uh, I don't think that that's really accurate. I think that probably understates Kemba as a passer rather significantly. He's quite good, like not unbelievable, but, but certainly good. Um, and, uh, Kemba, I think, I think that very much understates, uh, Kemba defensively that I don't think that he's necessarily that bad. Like he, he definitely has size issues um, and can be attacked by virtue of that. But he also is like a very, very active and involved team defender who tries really hard. And that gives you a floor that's something, whereas Riller could be a pretty disastrous defensive player. Um, he really like <laughs> doesn't try very often. Um so, yeah, I, I don't really think so. And I think it just generally kind of understates how ridiculously good of an offensive player Kemba is. Uh, he's one of the best offensive players in basketball. Um, he's really, really good. Uh, and that that's beyond even the stylistic elements. So I, I think it's just like a little bit of a disservice to Kemba, who is a really incredible player. Yeah. I mean, like, I understand where, like, they're coming from, but I do think it's a bit optimistic. Um, yeah, I mean, scoring wise, like I think maybe Riller's top end value gets close, but like I, I could, be, I mean, because I think Riller could be a really, really good score shot creator. Obviously, in a different way, like more slashing and finishing oriented. But yeah, I mean, just not. I don't think he'll ever be as good of a passer or a decision maker. Like Kemba is like legitimately a pretty good passer. Like I, I'm not as familiar with Kemba as you are, but like I know he's quite a good passer. I think defensively they could be like similar. Like yeah, Kemba's a pretty good defender now, but like I think. Riller does have like some tools and flashes, lateral mobility, and 
the occasional rotation. And like in seven years, I mean, if Riller is still around as like a nuclear scorer, who's to say he hasn't, you know, improved his engagement defensively under, you know, a, a different, a good system or a good coach. I mean, I, I generally agree with you that I think it's optimistic um, and kind of yeah. underrates what Kemba is. But... And then I think that this, the stylistic differences matter a lot when you're talking about how they derive their impact. Because when you consider that Kemba can then slide into a role where he is becoming the 1B or, or 2 to someone like Jason Tatum because he's such a good uh, off-ball player that he has really, really great relocation ability, that he is a great shooter, um, that he, he, you know, he can still maintain a tremendous amount of offensive value when he slides into a different role, arguably a role that he's more suited for, at least at this point in his career. And he still maintains very, very high-level offensive impact. Riller, I don't think that's the case for him, not nearly the off-ball player that Kemba is. Uh, so I think that that comes into play. The stylistic differences are tied to the impact differences. Yeah, I think that covers it. Yeah. Um, next, we've got uh, from Marcos Levy, PTY. If the Mavs trade up into the top 10, who should they take? Um, I think if Okoro or Vassell is there, I think that's how you prioritize for them. Just get like I think a Coral first and foremost um, point of attack like wing stopper I think is really would really be useful for them. Obviously Vassell would be incredibly useful as well in different ways though I think um, I just like because I, I think Vassell might actually be a better offensive fit because you're probably not going to like maximize a Coral offensively in a well dude way. you can you can use a as a role man sure yeah sure yes I, 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 yeah. I, I, That'll be fun, but still, I think you're probably not maximizing him offensively in a Luca-led offense. Um, um, whereas Vassell, like, probably not either, because you're not going to have Vassell take difficult shots. But um, I think he's the spot-up shooting there is useful. Both both would be exceptional in in different ways. Um, you know, Vassell more off-ball defense, Okora more on, but both still give you some of the other. Um, and I think if you want to go like the secondary creator route, I mean, if again, like if Killian Hayes falls to where they're trading up to, you you go get Killian Hayes and you pair Killian and Luca and you just like destroy the world with those two. Um, yes, like Killian, unspectacular off ball player at the moment, but you know if you got a chance to to nab a prospect as good as Killian, that's a concern that you kind of overlook, I think, and worry about fixing and, and orienting later when he's just like so much like just imagining having like two passers of that level like six foot five plus um that level of obviously luca being as incredibly as with like some of that scoring but um yeah i mean i love i, I would love that and then maxi as well for like kind of more traditional secondary who like actually is going to be like incredible off ball next to luca with his three-level scoring, shooting, which we believe in, attacking off. Just, like, imagining, like, the openings Luca can create for Maxi, just, like, to absolutely eat up and, and destroy attacking off the catch um, and finishing through and around guys. And then, obviously, defensively, he gives you what you want next to Luca, like like Killian does. Um, those are, like, the options. I, I, I think a mass trade-up would actually be a lot of fun. Like, um, I don't... But, but yeah, I mean, they they'd have potential to have some really good options. Um, so those are like the, the four big ones that I think of. But there, I mean, there's even other prospects that they could consider and, and would be pretty good. I think. Yeah, I don't think they should, and I don't know how they even would because yeah. they're out two future picks still. Um, but if they do it, I said Okoro and Vassell. Um, probably would lean lean Vassell there, but yeah, just get like a really really awesome wing defender. V- Vassell, if he's if he's willing to bomb, uh, 
makes a lot of sense. Uh, Okoro, if if he's going to be your your other big next to next to Porzingis, I think it makes a lot of sense and would be really fun. A, a big rotation of like Porzingis, Maxi, and like Ma- Maxi Kleba and Okoro, like yeah, and, Dw- and Dwight Powell, and Dwight Powell, like yeah, like f- you want your live threat, <laughs> you have Okoro. Yeah, not, not exactly. No. Um, six nine Okoro, that would be a lot. Or six seven. Uh, whatever six nine Okoro would be. No, but 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 Okoro is is such a brilliant below the rim finisher and sure. um, would be amazing passing in it. Uh, yeah, in yeah. Situation. It, it, it it would be fun. Um, yeah, and is a really good cutter. I think I actually do think it makes a lot of sense. But uh, Vassell is probably a bit more seamless. Both would be good. I mean, yeah. Um, all right. Next, we've got um from at Jackson underscore Het. Uh, What's your ideal draft night for the Celtics? Um, I I don't know. I think, I think it's just pretty clear. Um, I have like a pretty easy three. Um, uh, I assume they don't make a trade. I didn't do any trades here for them. I don't know if you did. Um, no, I just I, didn't. I just made all three picks as if I were making you know if I were forced to make the picks. Fourteen. There's like potentially quite a few good options, but I went with Maxi. Like, have talked up his potential as a secondary next to Jason Tatum ad nauseum. Like. Like attacking off the catch with Tatum creating advantages with the pull up, um, passing gets opened up. Doesn't have to create advantages in isolation. Defensively, he works. Um, it, it, it's it's perfect. It's magical. It's beautiful. Um, Twenty six. I had Bomaro. I think you want to stash with these three picks. Uh, the, I've lowered on Bomaro recently to where I don't I don't think he's like a lottery talent uh, level guy anymore. But like still top twenty, and this would be value for me just as an upside bet. Uh, with his, you know, elite defense at the point of attack and on the team side with the ball handling and the passing, just hoping the shooting comes along or he improves in some other, some other self-creation um, area as he ages. And then at 30, I had um, Tillman to get your, uh, to get your, your proto grant. Um, your another just awesome big who can compete in the playoffs. And I think I made Max happy with this one. Um, I mean, I, I, I know I did, but cause yeah, I mean, that would be awesome if you could nab Tillman, have him as like another rotational big man with his um, wealth of skills, the short roll, immaculate decision making to his ball handling. I think um, Boston's a good a spot at, at, as any to get him to shoot spot ups. Um, yeah, I mean that would be uh, a, a stupendous uh, draft haul for the, the Celtics. Um, so, what did you have, Max? Ben, would you like to guess exactly what I had? Did you have the exact same thing? I had Tyrese Maxey at 14, <laughs> and then Xavier Tillman and Leandro Bolmaro oh, so we... at 20. No, I didn't put an order for those two. Oh, I, just I, said, I just said Bolmaro and Tillman at 26 <laughs> and 30. Um, yeah, if you're using all three picks, you kind yeah. of need a stash. Uh, Bolmaro is really the only one. Like, the only, yeah, because I, I, I would not assume that Maladon or Poku can be stashed. Uh, international would, seasons yeah. have started. Um, but Bomaro is playing with FC Barcelona. Can certainly it will be a stash, uh, and I like him better than Maldon. Not not yeah. better than Poku. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. Bomaro could definitely play for like if he just gets to an acceptable spot as a as a spot up guy, uh, he can for sure play for the Celtics. Has the ball handling, uh, decision making that they want out of their wings, um, or or or. I mean, ball handlers, frankly, but uh, yeah, he's. Um, I, I think Bomaro makes a lot of sense as a stash. Tillman, perfect big with the Celtics. Uh, pass on the short roll, handle and DHO. Um, uh, defensively, you know, has everything you want. That I, I think he can 
play high on the floor uh, in in hedges and soft and soft hedges as he did at uh, Michigan State. Not as not a switch guy, but you know, relatively mobile. Uh, and then in spite of his his lacking vertical and lacking size, I think that he does have the length and timing to be an exceptional uh, helper and protector. Uh, just such a smart player, such a great communicator. Uh, offensively, such a good screener would be really, really helpful for Jason Tatum, very much in the Tice mold. Uh, I think that Tillman just makes a ton of sense as the long-term Tice replacement. Another thing that I that I talked about on that on that yeah. uh, winning plays pod with um, with uh, Brian and Ryan uh, that it, Tillman really makes a ton of sense for the Celtics. Uh, and yeah, Maxi for for all the reasons that that Ben laid out yeah. that he's really really good uh, secondary right. guy playing off Tatum. Listen up, fellas, because today we have a new Manscaped product alert. Manscaped just released the Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer. Take a look in the mirror, and I guarantee you'll see hair sticking out of those holes. It's time to keep your ear and nose hair looking as nice as your clean-shaven pubes. Manscaped is forever changing the grooming game with their Weed Whacker. This nose and ear hair trimmer provides proprietary skin-safe technology, which helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate holes. The premium Manscaped Weed Whacker uses a 9,000 RPM motor-powered 360-degree rotary dual-blade system. Its intelligently contoured design enhances the trimming experience, and it's waterproof, which makes for easy operation and cleaning. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use the code armchair. What are you waiting for? Go whack your weeds. The wait is finally over. Football's in full effect, with many teams strutting their stuff. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head to BetOnline today and use promo code ARMCHAIR to take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Yeah, so yeah, I think pretty unanimously would be exceptional for Boston. Uh, let's go to our next question from at BLVCK block underscore X. What is Jaden McDaniel's ceiling slash floor? Good three and rim protection forward is his ceiling. Uh, may- maybe like not creation ability. I like there's some way to get some value out of his handling because he he does have like a bunch of shake in that handle and, and can actually kind of use that, but there's then nothing that he can do with that. Cause he's such a putrid decision maker and like, is not that good yeah, of a shooter. Like, yeah. And like, we'll never, ever, ever finish because he weighs 45 pounds. Uh, so maybe there's nothing there with that. And it's just a weird skill. That's kind of useless, but good three and room protection forward uh, is, yeah. is the ceiling and his floor is not in the NBA. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty simple. I think floor. Yeah. Solid role player. Um, someone who hits spot ups can maybe attack and close out, um, protect the rim from the weak side. I think we'll always have other issues defensively with his awareness and and, intel- and instincts generally, just because like yes, it was good at Washington, but in EYBL before he played in the zone, all of that was was very worrisome. And then I, I think because of that, like the floor is out of the NBA totally. Like he's too limited physically. Uh, the, the the rim protection doesn't translate out of the zone. Um, I, I think the shots like going to be fine, but like if he doesn't have the rim protection or the defense, I think it's not really an NBA player anyway. So yeah, pretty, pretty simple there. Yeah. Next we've got from at Delo underscore twist. 
who are the top three first round prospects to be out of the league in four years? I this one was like very straightforward. Um, I have Ramsey, Oturu, and Stewart. Um, for all of the reasons that we've like, I'm not sure about. those guys are going to go in the first though. You don't think so? I think they all could. I don't think Oturu is going to. Ramsey might, and I think Stewart will. I think Stewart. I think Ramsey is pretty consistently projected in the first, and I think you see Oturu enough to make it like plausible. Yeah, it's plausible. I tried to go for guys that I thought were more like. Okay. I mean, yeah, yeah, I suppose. I mean, that that might have been a more fun application of this question, but still, I mean, um, if I, I, yeah, like I, Stuart will, I think, though Stuart, I have like a little bit of hope for, like, because we talked about like people do love his his character and that stuff matters, and he plays really hard, so I I could see him sticking around, but like not being a good NBA player. Ramsey and Otura, we've talked about enough, so. Yeah, I, I so I. I didn't put Ramsey or Oturu because I didn't think that there were locks to go in the first round. I and So this question I found to be very hard because I just went by like the ESPN top 30. And I looked at a few other things to try to get an idea of who was going to go in the first. But I didn't consistently see that those guys really were expected to go in the first. But Stewart is definitely, it seems, going to go in the first. So I had Stewart, even though, yeah, I do actually think he might stick around because of character and, and motor. But he sticks, I, I don't think it'll be for like real basketball reasons, though, like. Yeah, if he sticks, he's, he will be really bad. Um, and then speaking of sticks, uh, I also had oh. Jalen Sticks-Smith. Because, um, yeah, so I like I said, this was actually hard for me because I, I didn't see that many guys who, who were actually consistently in top 30s who I was super confident in. Uh, I don't really think that this is even the case for, for Jalen Smith. However, I could definitely see it. Like, he really might just have no position and his help rim protection ability is just completely – cannibalized by his lack of mobility and he i think pretty clearly can't play the five due to his lack of strength um you know is not viably like this is a guy who couldn't chase luca garza around screens off the ball like he's not mobile enough to defend the perimeter in the nba uh and then yeah it's just like you know all he he has really nice big man shooting offer but i think that the rest of the skills just don't work together in concert to make a sensible player Uh, i could definitely see him watching out uh, and then the other one I put was Tyler Bay. Uh, so I, I like Tyler Bay relatively. I think he's a worthwhile gamble, but like he might be able to do nothing on offense. He's a pretty harmful decision maker there. And then defensively, that yeah, the high points are really really high, but like like we like we've been saying, misses a lot of rotations. Um, is is generally kind of overactive, uh, and you know, is is weird positionally. Is pretty weak while being old. Uh, there are there are reasons to be concerned, um, and then if that's you know you're dealing with a huge offensive negative just to get that, I'm not sure it'll necessarily be worth it. Uh, yeah. Even though I, yeah, yeah. Even though I do. What? Oh, never mind. Go. Um, no, I didn't have anything else. To say. Oh, yeah, I was gonna say I like I, I think Smith is I feel like fairly confident in Smith just because of the shooting and like Bay, but I suppose it's like there's no other options. Like those are two pretty solid ones. Like I think there's definitely a chance they flame out. Like. To, to be very clear, Jemias and Atura would be much higher on this list if they go yeah. in the first. Um, I was just trying to find guys that seem more likely to go in the first, but Jemias and Atura, if they go in the first, would 100% be higher on this list. Um, trying to think if there are I any other... I think Tyrell Terry is kind of sneaky. Like, yeah, that's a good call. Yeah, because, like, I mean, he, I, I think he could go, like, kind of high. Like, um, like, cause like th- there have been some like, like lottery things thrown out. I don't, I don't know how real that is. Like could, be, like, could just be smoke, but like, like I, I like love Tyrell Terry, like personally, but like acknowledge that like 
he might just never have like the frame to succeed in the NBA. Like, um, so I think that's definitely one that I, I just thought of now that I think definitely applies here. Who are some, some other contenders that like if they go in the first? Um, I mean, like Balmaro, I guess conceivably could just never play in the NBA. I don't yeah. think that will happen, but like he's going to be a stash maybe for multiple years. Like he might, he might just never play in the NBA. Um, I thought about uh, if if like Vernon Carey goes in the first or Peyton Pritchard, I could definitely see those guys flaming up pretty badly. Yeah, maybe like if Reggie Perry goes in the first, like I don't think. Yeah. That's gonna happen. Oh, or, like, yeah. Who's like, there? Nuora. Who? If Hughes or Nawara sneak in, I, yeah, I don't think they're gonna go in the first. Um, yeah, you, you I kind never of know with Titan shooting, like yeah, I kind of think they would stick around. Cassius Stanley. Oh yeah, man. Yeah, if Cassius Stanley went in the first, he, yeah, I he think that's totally. pretty likely possible as well. Like, yeah, he might totally flame out if he went in the first. So okay, I feel like that's a pretty solid list of guys who yeah. don't take them in the first because they might be out of the league. And... Yeah. Um. All right. Next. Uh, uh, you can go. Uh, okay, from at Vince Chicken, why the hell is Tyrese Maxey stock all over the place? Why isn't Kareem Mane a first round pick at six foot five, athletic and a decent shooter? Ben, would you like to start this and end this quickly? Is Kareem Mane a real prospect? No. Yeah, I, 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 let, I will give a give, give a bit more context on that because I Kareem Mane, I these guys who take weird paths, uh, I think have a mystique that definitely helps them if people try to uh, capitalize on that mystique to yeah. uh, advance their stock. But Kareem Ine, yeah, Ben, why is Kareem Ine not he's remotely like, a prospect? I, like, the only real appeal to me is, like, he is, like, legitimately very quick. Like, he can break down – like, he can break down guys with bursts and get all the way to the rim. But, like, what else does he do? Um, like, I don't – like, like he's never been a particularly good shooter – not in FIBA, not in anything else I could find. The decision making is a struggle. He's too frail to me to really finish, and then defensively, just kind of a. I, it's not really complicated. Like, I don't have much depth to, to speak because I don't like think it's worth or really even know much depth about like the intricacies of Kareem Manet. Like, he just lacks like it. Like you can, I think you can pretty clearly see when someone's like a legitimate prospect and when they're not. Um, I think Manet is just not. Yeah, my counter to anyone like asking why Kareem Mane is not a high-end prospect would be why on earth is he a high-end prospect like you it I, the burden kind of goes the other way if you're if you're arguing for a fringe guy like he's just isn't very good at anything except for really good to make the NBA like especially as a guard like, yeah like frankly he was not good in that FIBA run that gets hyped up like he just wasn't um yeah, I, I I feel bad for him. It's like un, unfair expectations have been put on him. Uh, yeah, I I would say if you're wondering why Kareem Mane is not a prospect, go watch those FIBA games. They're on YouTube. They're easy to find. Um, he just wasn't very good. Like he's got bursts, but otherwise he's not a very good shooter. He's not a good defender. He's not a good decision maker. There there's like nothing really to like there. And I don't even think that he's like necessarily that exceptional from a burst standpoint yeah like he's really good but like there's a lot of really quick guards in the world like yeah um all right should we talk about maxi now uh sure yeah i mean i also gonna be pretty quick because we've done this a million times just like why is it stock all over the place i mean statistically you see like he shot under 30 percent from three and people get worried about 
the shot. You know, 6-3 combo who can't shoot is, is what you'll hear sometimes. From people who are, like, more invested, you'll you'll see both the low stocks, under two block and steal percentage, which are kind of benchmarks you want top prospects to hit. Um, he's probably not a good defender at six foot three. Those are like the broad, I think, niceties like you see about Maxi that where people did discount him when both of those, when you look with any sort of depth, just aren't true. Or like the shooting, I think, is going to be just fine because of the volume and the shot versatility and the, his shooting track before high school. Um, and then the defense, like he's just a much better team defender. Like I hate, I hate to say, just like watch the games, but like. Like, like genuinely just like he, he might not be as exceptional of a playmaker as he was billed as, or as he could be, but like he makes the little plays, the, the stunts, the digs, the, the closeouts, um, like the, the smaller, more unnoticeable rotations. Uh, he's just going to be a really good player. Um, and like the Kentucky thing as well, it was always priced in. So, I mean, that's kind of like why Maxi isn't valued as high as he should be. And I'm sure there's other reasons, but. Yeah. So I think that it's twofold. There's the stats, angle that yeah didn't shoot well from three um the stocks are not good uh but yeah so for people who get worried about his shooting percentages i think they're just like for the most part not aware of his track record as a shooter that he has a very very extensive track record as a very good shooter um for whatever reason they're discounting that he was still an elite free throw shooter at kentucky um i think not aware of other aspects of his game that were a bit more hidden at Kentucky, like his insanely uh, refined runner game. Um, and then I think it's just a general perception of him. Like you, you get into an archetype situation where you're like, okay, he's a small combo who is not exceptional at anything. But I do think that that kind of misses the point because first of all, he is exceptional at things. Like he's an exceptional guard finisher. Um, he has really good burst. He has like uniquely good contortion ability. He has the best balance in the class. He is highly ambidextrous. He's highly crafty as a finisher. He's just a great guard finishing prospect uh, and can certainly get there, at least attacking uh, existing advantages as a, uh, off the catch. Um, that yeah, he is going to be a versatile shooter uh, and a good one. And that yeah, his defense just gets wildly underrated. Uh, I think that his versatility on the ball is understated because he didn't do it as much at Kentucky, but definitely saw it pre Kentucky. I was just watching one of the Auburn games the the second one, I think recently again. And, and he had some good moments against the Like he definitely has ability to like not big wings for sure, but I think that he can fight with, with some wings just on, on back of his motor and strength. Uh, and then, yeah, I think he's a really good team defender and people that just get lost because of the stocks. Like, he is one of the best guys on stunts and digs in the class. He's really, really impactful there. He doesn't miss rotations. He's just like a smart defender and very, very sound and good. Um, he's just a really, really good all-around player. Uh, I think just gets, yeah, gets like wildly underrated on both ends on account of things he didn't get to show at Kentucky, like the runner game uh, with some of the defensive versatility. Um, and uh, I think a lack of appreciation or I think the level of guard finisher that he is, the team defender that he is. Uh, yeah, he's yeah. just a really good all-around player. All right, let's get into the next one. Um, or is it? This next. Is, oh, you got it? Or, sure, yeah. It's Cash Iggy underscore 11. Uh, it's a 21 question. Uh, do you guys have a favorite international prospect after... Roko or Usman Garuba? 
Um, yeah, uh, the only other one like I'm really into that I've seen is uh, Mavi King, who I talked about a couple episodes ago, I think, at this point. Like, 3 and D plus wing, really impressive on and off ball defender, off ball offense, the, like the shot a lot, um, despite, like, like, well, like it's not perfect mechanically, like, he doesn't really dip, and the rhythm is sometimes off, but I think the percentage has been really good, and the versatility and volume are all good, and I like the touch, and there's the cutting, and some of, you know, his, he's a fluid athlete, you know, I, I'm a big fan of him. There, I mean, I, and then there, there are prospects like Josh Giddy and Ibu Baji, who I like a little less, but I think it's like there's a lot of international guys I haven't watched, like um, a couple of like the German bigs, um, Matthew Strasel, Allison, that I haven't dove into enough. Um, if, if Rokas doesn't declare, it, Rokas could still like pull his name, right? Or can he? I don't think so, but I'm not sure. Yeah, if Ro- I mean if, if he's there, I think it'd be a good international class, but like not one that I'm like crazy informed on um, at the moment. So. Yeah, I'm not super informed on the internationals yet either, but I like Allison. I've I've liked him. He's yeah. he's a pretty impressive guard. I like have emoted the analysis because like I don't feel confident enough, but like he's good, no doubt. Like yeah, no, I don't I don't have like a in depth eval of him at all. It's just like yeah, I've seen some of him and he's popped. Um, yeah. yeah, he uh, he's interesting, uh, but yet still still have a lot of internationals to watch for next year. Yeah. All right. Oh, uh, the next question we have. Contract year C. Um, if Mason Jones did gain between six to ten inches, inches on his vertical as a late bloomer per his pro day, how would that affect his draft stock slash NBA projection? Okay, so I'm going to kind of dodge this question, and then I'll kind of answer it. Uh, so we've said several times now, don't use the combine numbers this year. Definitely don't use pro day numbers. Um Definitely, in general, don't use max vert. It's just not really very instructive. If you just think about it, like how max vert would prevent, present itself in a basketball game, uh, occasionally in transition, um, you know, when there's no one around. Maybe if you are, you know, being defended by Anthony Edwards in the corner and back cut him, you'll have a wide open runway. Uh, but your max vert's not going to come into play that much in basketball. It doesn't really matter, and it certainly doesn't matter for someone's projection uh what matters a lot more functional aspects of vertical so you know how do you how do you explode off one foot how do you explode through contact um how quickly can you get off the ground those things matter a lot more so max vert in general don't use it definitely don't use combine numbers this year and most certainly don't use pro day numbers um so but now to the actual question if suppose mason jones is a superior vertical athlete now i don't care that much uh Mason Jones, to me, the issues are with creating separation, not with finishing like highly, highly skilled finisher. I think it would like it would benefit him a little bit, certainly if he if he could elevate more. But I care more about him never being open Uh, like this would be like if you added length to Mason Jones, I think that would be more compelling than adding vertical to him. Uh, He's just like not really a vertical based finisher. I don't think it matters that much. Yeah, I said the same like. I don't care because he's already like an elite finisher without it. Um, and like, I think it would like, even if he did, like it would be unwise for him to change his brand of finishing. Like what he does is outlier. Great. Like the strength, the contortion, the touch, all that, like to like add a, like try to add a vertical aspect to complicate that. Like I would say no to that. Like I doesn't matter. I mean, I think defensively for like making rotations and stuff, but like, does that make him like a quicker leaper? Like just cause he can jump higher at his max. Does that mean his load time is lessened? Like, 
I like probably not. So just not like again, like co- combine numbers, shooting number, shooting drills, vertical stuff, bench press reps, even like don't use any of them. Um, but yeah, and in the case of Mason Jones, like not something that really changes my perception of him at all. Um, do you want to do one more? or Do you want to cut this part too? I think we can do one more. Okay. Um, yeah. All right. From Fred McNBA. It seems like an important part of defense is a, is a mobile four to play next to a rim protector like Draymond, Millsap, Giannis, Bam. Do you see a Kongwu playing any four in the NBA in a similar similar role? Who are some other prospects that can play that role? Uh, not really. I don't think. Just because one, I'm not sure. Like, like he's very plus mobile, uh, covering pick and rolls for his size, and but I don't I don't know if he's mobile enough to really play the four full time. Um, nor do I think he has the offense to as well. Um, I, I mean, he's strictly a five offensively with, you know, being a very, very good role man, despite some finishing concerns, he's explosive. He's, he leaps off the floor quickly. He's going to be a good finisher. I think no doubt the short roll passing is improving. I just don't want you think you, you don't want him like handling on the perimeter or having like a heavy diet of spot ups. And that kind of would necessitate playing in with the four for that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess like you could in a pinch, like since like he is six, nine, um, I guess like occasionally, but that's that definitely wouldn't be my preference, and that's not why you're drafting Onyeka. I think to play him at the four. And um, then like other guys, there aren't really like many other like mobile fours in this class. Like if you want to like slide like Okoro or Vassell or Denny up to the four, like they could kind of qualify with with their skills. Um, Jaden is another one who kind of qualifies as well. Woodard with like, we talk about like the three and rim protection guys. Pat will isn't like mobile in the perimeter switchy sense. He's very not mobile laterally, but he, he, he moves well from, you know, covering ground to the interior. Um, so, like these guys are like really rare. Like these like mobile force, um, like looking for, like we talked about, like, like a couple of us episodes ago and a lot, like looking for, um, Looking for like Millsaps and Draymonds and Giannis's and Bams is generally like a lost cause and a thing you shouldn't do because they're so unique and they like because they because they're unique and they're so valuable because they their skill sets can't be replicated. Um, so if you're looking for someone to replicate those skill sets um, to something close to a T, you're probably going to be disappointed. So yeah, so I think that the rangey fours are very important uh, in the NBA. That ground coverage. Uh, that helps out rim protection is really, really important. I think Yek definitely cannot do that. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think he's mobile like that. He's he's mobile, but not like that. And I, yeah, it just doesn't make sense to play him offensively as a four unless you're going to do like some of the really kind of painful Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid half court offense where they have like. Or if you have like Cat at the five, or like yeah, yeah. But if you're gonna if you're just gonna have like Onyeka, Kongwu, and Cody Zeller like cross screening and then trying to get a seal, I'm not gonna really be very interested in watching that. Um, yeah, that sounds unpleasant. Uh, so Onyeka Kongwu definitely not your rangey four. He's a center uh, and a good one. Um, but if you are looking for that rangey four type of guy in this class, I think there are a few options. Like Ben mentioned, Jaden is okay for it. Woodard's okay for it. But I, I aimed a bit higher and said Poku and Patwell. Yeah, um, Poku. Yeah, both definitely can cover ground, can make plays from the weak side, um, bring that kind of interior presence in very different ways. Poku is going to cover a lot of ground and use his length. Um, 
crazy Pat, instincts, you know. Yeah, crazy instincts. Pat is also very good instinctually. Doesn't have that level of ground coverage, though he does, I think, cover ground pretty well. But much more skilled, I would say, as a as an interior defender. Really good with verticality. Yeah. Uh, has very strong second jump ability. Uh, very good vertical athlete. Just you know, I think very much kind of kind of fits this this archetype. Um, not not as long as Poku, um, but uses Powell uses his length incredibly well uh, all over the floor, not just at the rim. He uses his length very well uh, on the perimeter as well. Um, so yeah, those two guys stand out to me for sure. Uh, I think there are probably more of these guys in the future. To be honest. Yeah, um, I mean, as it becomes more important, then talk about yeah. this a little next time. But like, yeah, yeah, you uh, need it in the NBA. Yeah, so I think very much the right idea here. Like these guys are really important, uh, but I don't think Onyeka is one of them. He's something else that's also important. Yeah. All right, so that'll that's going to be it for part two. Uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, you can follow the pod at Prep Prep Two Pro Pod on Twitter. Follow Max at Max A. Carlin. Follow me at Ben underscore Pfeiffer underscore. Again, if your question hasn't been answered, it'll likely be answered on part in part three. Uh, so with that, we will see you all next time.